Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, uh, you actually end, then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hey gang, welcome to session 116 of Selling the Couch. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me. I hope April is treating you well. We've had a crazy amount of rain here in Philly and spring is probably my most favorite season. So I'm looking forward to just being able to get out, doing hikes, trying to avoid allergies, all of those things. But uh hope you're doing well wherever you are and hope today's podcast finds you doing well. Today's podcast, it's a topic that I think has come up a lot in our Facebook community, which you can find at sellingthecouch.com forward slash community. And it's this topic of starting a group within your private practice and what goes into creating the group and all of those things. And I've been trying to find someone that I thought could just really speak to this, who's created multiple groups, who's kind of figured out what's working, what's not working. And I actually found someone who is happens to be local. You guys may know her as the group guru. Her name is Katie May, and she's here in Flower Town, Pennsylvania, which is a suburb of Philly. And we're going to be doing is talking all about groups. But as you probably realize, groups is quite a dense topic. And so what we decided to do was actually break this up into two podcast conversations. So this week, we are talking all about brainstorming your group, how to structure your group, how to think about the format for your first group, where do you find the inspiration for your group? And then Katie's just going to share some of the biggest pearls of wisdom that she's learned along the way in, in creating groups. And then in next week's session, we're actually going to go into more of setting fees, advertising your group, and what are the things to do in terms of filling your group. So we'll get right to today's conversation. But before we do get there, I just wanted to take a moment to thank the folks over at Brighter Vision for supporting this month's podcast. Uh, Brighter Vision is this company that makes it much easier for us to create our private practice websites. You can learn more about them at sellingthecouch.com forward slash brighter vision. They were actually kind enough to offer us a discount code. And that link takes you to the discount code where you can get the first month absolutely free. It's pretty good value. So let's get right to today's conversation. So here is my conversation with Katie May from creativehealingphilly.com and becomeagroupguru.com. Hi, Katie. Welcome to Selling the Couch. 
Hi, Melvin. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm excited to connect. I've been wanting to reach out to you for a while. You are the expert when it comes to forming uh, therapeutic groups in practice. I'm just so excited for our conversation, so much so we're actually making this a two-part conversation. Oh my gosh, I know. I am excited as well. I mean, groups are just my passion, so I love to talk about them. And getting to talk about them with you in not only one, but two parts of a podcast makes me super psyched. So thank you again for having me here. You're so welcome. I feel like this topic of groups has come up a lot, you know, like just in various communities for therapists in the STC Facebook community and all of these things. And folks like I know that in our field, lots of folks are really interested in what we can do with groups. And you've done that really well. So I thought we could just kind of start basic, which is guide us through that process where you realize that you could actually create a group in your practice. Yeah. So my idea for my first group kind of came up organically. It wasn't a part of my initial plan when I was thinking about going into private practice. My work in the field started, I was working in a child and adolescent partial program. And so the focus in the partial program was on groups and I was the individual and family therapist. Mm -hmm. But week after week, I would have these teenagers come into our sessions, whether it was individual or family and say, I'm really getting a lot from the groups here in the program. I wish there was something like that in my community where when I leave, I could still get group support and get the feedback from my peers. They just found it so valuable. So, you know, I knew all along I wanted to go into private practice. And that was kind of a light bulb moment for me thinking, well, people are telling me what they need. There's this hole in the market. There's something not being served in the community. And I could do that. I could offer something like that. I was familiar with groups from working there. You know, I would cover them in the summer and things like that. So that's how the process started for me is that I would hear week after week after week from multiple people that it was something that they needed. And it was something that wasn't actually available in the community. So that's how I got started with groups. You know, I feel like that's the best type of data, right? Instead of us just assuming like, oh, maybe we should start a group on this, or maybe I should do this sort of format, whatever it is, right? But it's a different ballgame. It's a much more real thing when folks are actually saying, this is what we need, right? Because you said it beautifully, like it indicates demand. Exactly. It was like market research being done right before my eyes. I was supporting them and they were supporting you know, me being able to move on to this next step and start something really amazing that's unfolded so well. And this is just a question that I just had. But you know, I feel like sometimes we get the sources of inspiration and then there's kind of this natural doubt that creeps in like, who am I to be creating something like this? Right. Or what skills do I have? All of those things. Did you struggle with any of that at all? I'm going to say yes and no. So I will tell you that that first group, that first night, I was pacing back and forth in my office. I was doing jumping jacks to get rid of that first (laughs) night jitters. Like, I didn't know if anyone would even show up. I didn't know if I was going to remember what I was, quote unquote, supposed to say because I had this whole group plan. So, of course, there was that natural human doubt of like, you know, can I do this? Are people going to like it? 
are people going to like me? Are they going to show up or are they ever going to come back? But then at the same time, that part of me that just wanted to trust the process and trust that, you know, holding the space for people to connect and to be there with each other. And that's one of the beautiful things I think about group is that it takes the pressure off any one person to make it go well, that you really have to kind of trust that the group is going to unfold in a way that's helpful for everyone and support their needs. And that it's not all about you. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it absolutely does. I almost like when you were saying that the word like liberating came to my mind. Right. Because it's not just all on us. Right. Right. To make it happen. It's like we do the work, we do the research, we create the format. But when I've done groups in the past, I think a lot about that, how I guess the pulse of the group evolved over time. It wasn't something like I said, oh, I'm going to create this vibe for the group. Right. And you kind of have to feel out the group once they're there before you can create some sort of you could have this, you know, beautiful intention, but then have the people come into the space and create something completely different, which is beautiful in its own right, but not what you had set out to do. So I think that's something I've learned. And I have seven groups in my practice right now, and each one of them has a different presentation and a different vibe and different personalities within them, even though they all started from the same place of, you know, either teen process group or DBT group. So a general overview of what I wanted to provide, but certainly different in each of the different groups that I have. This might be a really silly question, but you know, so so when you have seven groups, right? How, and each of these has a different vibe, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you like, I guess, was this just more like doing this over and over, like where you just learn to trust yourself and realize that you can pick up the pulse of the group and then you can sort of tailor things, you know, as the group needed? Yeah. I'm trying to think about how to explain it. So with my DBT groups, they're more structured, right? right? They come from a curriculum, but I'm still flexible within that curriculum based mm-hmm. on reading the room and seeing what everyone needs. And so it's a little bit of give and take with my process groups. Yeah, I have a general structure that I go through. I mean, we start with a check-in and then sometimes we'll do some kind of activity or we'll talk on a certain topic and then we'll process that. So there's like a general flow and a structure but I read the room, you know, if everyone's coming in and they're talking about school anxiety, but I had prepared some kind of topic or activity or discussion around asserting yourself with parents, I'm going to switch gears. I'm going to go into, you know, dive deeper into what it is that they want to talk about and try and understand that on a deeper level and can help them connect with each other and provide each other with feedback and support surrounding that specific topic, as opposed to what I may have planned going into the room. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, a lot of people overcomplicate this idea of group when a lot of us go into our individual sessions without a real structured and solid plan, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if I'm making an assumption there, but I don't go fully prepared with a curriculum into every one of my individual sessions, they organically unfold. And, you know, I have overarching treatment goals, but it's kind of the same for the group setting as I have these general goals for what I'd like to accomplish, but I allow the group to lead and trust that they know what they need in the process. Yeah, no, I I love, I think that way of looking at it, like, it's almost this idea of like holding a position loosely, right? And I think you're right. Like, I think that you know, for most of us, our training is usually in individual or couples therapy. So then the idea of introducing multiple, you know, and maybe even family therapy, but the idea of 
introducing multiple people who have multiple different backgrounds. Maybe that's what it is that kind of creates a fear for us. So then we're like, I need to create a very regimented structure about what this is going to look like. Right, right. And I think for me, when anytime I enter into a new group, and I just started my seventh one about a month ago, mm. it helps for me to allow myself to be vulnerable in that process too. Like I always admit on that first night of group, like who here is nervous? I'm nervous. Mm. You know, you're all new people. I don't know you that well. You don't know each other. You don't really know me. So it makes sense to be nervous and let's kind of hold the space for each other. Not that I'm expecting them to support me, but just, you know, being transparent with them that it's human to be nervous when you enter into a room with eight other people that you don't know. And that's okay. And let's explore what that feels like and how to work through that together. You mentioned earlier about like finding inspiration for the group, seeing what was happening in the partial program, but I wanted to go a little bit deeper into it. So like, take us through that process of actually finding a topic that you knew would be a need in the community. So I would say that, again, there were general goals just based on my work with Mm. adolescents. And Mm. so, you know, I guess it's one of the reasons that I would suggest for anyone's first group that they work with a population that they're familiar with, because with anyone over time, you're noticing certain themes come up in individual sessions. It happens for me all the time where, you know, one week everyone's having difficulty with sleep. Another week, there's a lot of parent arguments. Another week, it's about rejection. So I guess it's, you know, I was getting this sense of these basic needs that teens had, especially with the population that I work with, which tends to be more high risk, like suicidal self-harm, that sort of thing, and more severe depression and anxiety. So the inspiration for what the group needed to be came from having these individual sessions and learning what they needed individually, and also knowing that they all struggled with these similar issues, and it would be great to have a place where they learned that they were not the only one. Mm -hmm. So my main goal when I started my groups was to have a safe place for teens to connect, where they could understand that they weren't the only one who felt a certain way, that they weren't weird or different or wrong for, you know, feeling anxious about going to school or feeling depressed and hopeless. And so to be able to connect with and come together with other people who had similar experiences mm-hmm. so they could feel like they had a support system was something that that was my main goal. No, I was even as you just described it, right? Like I could see like how passionate you are about it, right? Yeah. And I think that's the underlying thing, right? Like what I hear you saying is when you first start a group, right? Mm-hmm. Focus on a population and like that you feel passionate about, but ultimately like it's that idea of like it's not just about starting the group, right? Like it's a much deeper, like a why, like, right? Yeah. For starting that group. It's not, you know, I'm creating a group to, you know, to create income for my practice, although that's a benefit, right? But the real focus is that it's a space where blank can find blank. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I like to balance both sides of what you just said. Of course, making money is great. And you know, it's our way of supporting the people that we love and giving back and having the lives that we want to lead. And all of those things are amazing. But I don't think any of it works unless you can be heart centered and come from a place of passion. And that's what I credit my success to is caring so much about what I do and, you know, wanting to have this place for teens to come home to and to feel like they're not alone and that, you know, they're fully accepted for exactly who they are and and that they've found a peer group within their group that fully accepts them exactly who they are and, and cares enough about them to give them 
real feedback if something isn't working or if something is unhealthy for them. So absolutely, you know, finding inspiration and finding your why, why you're doing this and what group is going to do for the people that you serve. Just shifting a little bit, you know, that very first group that you did, how did you decide on, I guess, maybe two-parter, how did you decide on the format of the group? And then how did you decide on like structure, just generally like format structure? The way that I decided was, well, first off, the goal that I had for that first group was not to process any topic as much as it was to just help the group connect with each other and to build rapport. So my main goal in like the first three groups was just to help them feel comfortable with each other. So everything that I designed for those first few groups was about, you know, team building activities and icebreakers and Mm. sharing fears and normalizing them and helping them to learn how to validate each other and like socializing them to the group process as a whole. Mm. And the way that I decided to structure my groups was I wanted to really balance providing them with concrete and practical skills that they could take with them into their lives and providing them with this safe space to self-express and to connect with each other. So I always knew I wanted to do a check-in just Mm. like I would in an individual session, like a high and a low of your week or how did, you know, how are you feeling today? That kind of thing. And then to have some kind of focus just in case nobody was talking, which sometimes can be amazing and therapeutic. But I think in a first group, when there's crickets, it can be really anxiety producing for the therapist as well as anyone else that's in the group. So I knew I wanted to have something that we could focus on and we could talk about and an activity to engage in. And then I wanted to be able to process that and talk about what that meant for everyone. So that's where my basic formula of check-in activity process came from for my process groups. Which yeah. isn't, I guess, technically a process group as much as like a mixture of a couple of things that I felt like were important. <laughs> right, right. But I like it because the focus of that first group session, right, it's indirectly on the individuals, right? But it's done through this activity. So it's, I would imagine it's much less nerve wracking for the folks that are there. I would imagine for you as well. Yeah, and I would agree with that, that I think group in essence is about self-discovery, but in a group setting, I actually had someone from one of my groups last night say, I don't think, because I asked this question, you know, who do you think really knows you? And they said, I don't think I even really know myself. And then one of the other teens in group said, well, that's why you're in group, so we can help you figure that out. And I thought it was really cool that they picked up on that, that you learn more about yourself by being within the group as well. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, some insightful teens there. (laughs) Yeah, they're pretty spectacular. So you said earlier, like the first like three groups that you did. So was that like the first three sessions of that first group or more like the first like three groups like that you did, like the three iterations of it? I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, It does make sense. No, I actually meant the first three weeks of group Ah, I spent on team building. So that was one of those, you know, when people talk about like their biggest mistakes in anything, that was one of the things I learned from that, that very first group that I did Mm -hmm. was that I was so excited about diving into that process of let's explore and let's go deep that I tried that, I think too soon in that first group. And it was not received well because they weren't comfortable with Mm -hmm. each other yet. So I've learned since then that it's really important to spend time building rapport, building trust and helping them feel comfortable with each other with any population so that they feel like they can get to that deeper level. And when you skip that step, you're really doing a disservice to the group as a whole because then they don't actually go to the place that group can be as most therapeutic as possible. Yeah, no, that's such a good, like, good insight. So I know when you're seeing individual clients, couples, like, you know, we we learned this in grad school, the importance of rapport, all these things. This might be, again, a silly question, but like, have you noticed, does that process of rapport, does that take longer in a group? 
I guess it could depend on the group, but I don't know if that makes sense. Just the fact that you have more folks, does that rapport take longer to build? So is it like almost, is it smart to be really intentional about that rapport building stage in a group? Yes, I think that it is. So I have a process where I always do an individual intake before I accept somebody into the group because I believe that it's important, you know, not only to screen for symptoms and presentation, but also personality. And I'm really careful about who I place in what group. And at this point, I have the luxury of being able to decide, well, this person might not fit in this group, but I have this group that could be a good fit. But even someone starting out with their first group, you want to be careful. You know, if you have three people in the group that are really assertive and dominating and one person who's really sensitive and passive, you want to be careful about personalities and where you're placing people because, you know, you're putting people together in this really powerful container that can create and catalyze amazing change. But it's also like it can be a pressure cooker if people aren't in the right place or if they're feeling like their needs aren't being met and they don't have the skills to assert themselves and get their needs met. So I definitely think that screening is important when you're placing people in a group together. I don't know if that answered your initial question, but that's where I went with it. (laughs) No, no, I think it's good. Like, I think what I'm sort of picking up is there's all these like subtle, I mean, they're not like big things, but there are these subtle nuances. I think if you think about like, Mm -hmm. uh, as you're creating this group, it's like really intentional, right? Like that uh, pre-screening, the thinking about that each group is going to have its own sort of flow to it, right? And so what are you doing throughout it? How are you creating that trust initially? All of those things like, and even this idea of like, we might be so excited about a topic that we just want to go deep really quick, but folks may not be there yet and and recognizing that gap. Right. And I think also the the screening and the intake session helps you build trust with each individual so that, you know, you at least have that initial rapport with each of them that they trust you to facilitate the connections between all of them. So it's important to be able to know who's coming in and what they need. And then again, being able to read them and read the room, like there will be times when, let's say, you know, Maggie has a hard time talking about something unless she's called on, but someone else says something and you see Maggie's face change. You can, you know, I would say, Maggie, it looks like you have something to say about that. So being able to know each group member individually initially helps to facilitate the group process. Yeah, that's so good. Cause it's like you're building rapport even before the actual group starts. Exactly. So the last question for this session is just looking back at, um, you know, just the groups that you've done, what would you say are the three pearls of wisdom that you've learned specifically about just brainstorming and structuring a first group? That's so good. (laughs) So I would say number one would be listen to your audience. Now, this could be, you know, listening to your population in individual sessions and noticing the themes that are coming up over and over again, the things that are important to them that they want to talk about that that they need more support on. So being able to hear that and then translate that into something group related and listening to your audience could also be like tracking intake calls and what people are talking about. So really kind of finding patterns in the pain points that that people come to you for. And that's a great way to design your groups around that sort of thing, because then you know exactly what they need and you can give them exactly what they're asking for. 
Number two would be focusing on the connection and learning to trust the group. So, you know, you can stress yourself out for weeks about what's the exact perfect topic for my group or what activity is going to make my group a success. But if the connection isn't there, then none of it's going to matter because that's really what group is all about. Like there have been studies about, you know, happiness and health and how those things are improved just by having strong social connections. So focusing on facilitating those connections, finding commonalities in group members, helping them to, you know, connect with each other on these certain topics, whatever they're talking about, I think is more important than the overall perfect curriculum or structure. And then I guess finally having a plan B, you know, knowing that you could come into session with this complete perfect plan for, you know, this is my structure, this is my topic, these are the questions I'm going to ask to process, and people are going to throw you a curveball. So being willing to let the process unfold, or being willing to shift gears, if you start talking about coping skills, and everyone's eyes glaze over, and you just know that nobody cares in that moment, you need to be willing to be flexible and have a plan B and, and go in a different direction. I love that. Katie, I'm grateful we're doing this in, in two <laughs> sessions, because there's just so much stuff to cover, but I'm grateful for your wisdom. What are some of the best ways that folks can get in touch with you? And please feel free to, to plug both your uh, private practice website as well as the uh, Group Guru site. Yeah. Okay. So thank you for that, Melvin. And I agree, this went way too fast. <laughs> <laughs> So if you're a therapist and you're looking for help starting or growing your groups, you can find me at becomeagroupguru.com or my private Facebook community, which you can find at yourgroupguru.com. It has its own link. Those are both places where I love to provide therapists with support. And I actually have a couple courses where I help them do that as well. If you're interested in checking out my private practice, if you're in the Philadelphia area, it is creativehealingphilly.com. And I would love to hear from you either way. I love connecting with anyone in the field or otherwise who's interested in learning more about groups. Katie, it's been so good to connect with you. Thank you again for Thanks. doing this. Hey gang, hope you enjoyed my conversation with Katie. And I hope that if the uh, idea of groups is something that's on the horizon for you. I hope that it's given you uh, new hope and just new inspiration to get started on that journey. I know that starting a group is something that I would love to do at some point down the line. And so, I don't know, just getting to hear and just picking up just on the, I don't know, just how driven Katie is to serve the population that she works with. I don't know, it's just so... I think it's just so good for me to hear, and I, I hope that it gave you a similar kind of experience. So, you know, I took away a bunch of things, and I think one of the biggest things that I, I took away from this conversation was that Katie said this without saying it, which is that you don't need to get it perfect, just get it started, right, with the, the first iteration of the group. There are definitely aspects that you have to consider, but I think for, I don't know what it's like for you, but like for me, I think when I take on new projects and start new things, many times I'm just so worried and wanting to get it just just right that I spend in just an inordinate amount of time on things that uh, in hindsight were probably not the best uses of my time. So I hope that it gives you some encouragement. Show notes to today's episode can be found at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 116. And as we wrap up, I wanted to thank Perry and the team over at Brighter Vision for supporting this week's podcast and actually all of this month's podcasts. 
Brighter Vision is a company that works with therapists, especially with our field, and their whole mission is to help us create beautiful websites that resonate for us and that connect with our clients. I know that sometimes the thought of creating a website on your own can be absolutely terrifying. And if that's you, then I encourage you to check out Brighter Vision. They will create a website for you. They will help in terms of uploading content and things like that. So for example, blog posts and stuff down the line, they'll help you with all that. So you can just focus on what you're good at, which is being a clinician. So you can find more about Brighter Vision and the work they do at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Brighter Vision. And they actually hooked us up with a, a nice little code. So at checkout, if you enter the word couch, C-O-U-C-H, you get the first month absolutely free. So it's a $59 value. Have a great rest of your day. And uh, thank you again for taking the time to tune in. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business, just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.